Federation of the World Wrestling Federation. And nobody does it better than the WWF. Oh, yeah. Buckle your seatbelts because it's going to be a bumpy, bumpy ride. And I promise you, and I guarantee you, it's going to be the most electric, the most fun that you've ever had in your entire life. Look at this crowd right here. It's unbelievable. And right over there are two guys that are going to kick it off. One is Jerry the King Waller, and he ain't no king. And the other guy is Vince McMahon, and All he's right, a friend of mine. Take over while I do the thing in Don't the ring. All right, Randy Savage, we'll do the thing in the thing. Yes, welcome everyone to SummerSlam. Vince McMahon along with Terry the King Waller. This beautiful facility, the United Center, the new home of the Chicago Bulls. New home of the Blackhawks, and tonight it is the home of the World Wrestling Federation. What action we're going to bring to you tonight here live from Chicago, the brand new beautiful United Center in SummerSlam. McMahon, before we start talking about tonight's action, let me drop a bombshell on everybody. Let me tell the world about what took place last night in Indianapolis, Indiana. We have new WWF Tag Team Champions, the Head Shrinkers by none other than Shawn Michaels and Diesel. Can you imagine Diesel with two championship belts around his waist? Yes, and Diesel, ah. of course, will be defending the Intercontinental Championship against Razor Ramon here tonight, plus the hitman Fat Hart against his brother, Owen. Inside the steel cage, the whole Hart family's here. That's right, 23,000 people. Looks like a Hart family reunion, doesn't it? Well, let me tell you this. Somebody else that I noticed in attendance tonight, this may be very interesting. The British Bulldog, Davey Boy Smith, is here. That was Bret Hart's opponent two years ago at SummerSlam. It was indeed, of course. And The Undertaker versus The Undertaker. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> we are ready for action here tonight at SummerSlam. Summer loving had me a blast. Summer loving happened so fast. I met a girl crazy for me. Welcome to another episode of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. I'm intern Alex, joined as always by... The one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. And Patrick, what do you have for us from the news desk for this first week of August 2017? Let's uh, go ahead and look at it right here. I found out the contracts that Global Force Wrestling is handing out. Mm -hmm. They want you to think that everything's all hunky-dory, but actually, truly, what it turns out to be is, if you sign with them, all new talent, this is their contracts, they allow Global Force Wrestling uh, wrestlers to keep all their merch money that is sold by the company. They also allow them to have outside bookings however global force gets a percentage of the bookings whether it be wrestling or non-wrestling related this is one of the reasons why brandy rhodes is uh said goodbye to global force because she uh this week when they hit her up with that she said uh uh no and because it was their way of trying to get in a little bit of uh cody's money 
and so they just decided to part ways on that end. When you're a talent like Cody Rhodes that's getting booked all over the world, you don't want to split your money with anybody. Right. Especially with it being a company you don't even work for anymore. But also, here's what I can understand. They've used skits of Bobby Roode in the past, but this week they used a interview that an unaired interview with Kurt Hawkins, portraying him as the same character that he was in TNA and the same character that carried over into WWE. And so they're reaching out of the library, grabbing stars that are now working for WWE and trying to make a name off that. It's their tape library. They can use it as they see fit, but it just has, I don't know. Because they actually like, oh, well, this is... You know, I, I don't know what they called him. I have not seen it. I'm getting secondhand information. But they, oh, well, this is Kurt Hawkins, you know, backstage. I don't know what his name was. You know, let's take it to him. And then they, so they're making you think he's there when actually it's something that was filmed over two years ago. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I don't know what they would gain by doing that. Maybe they just want to use this footage. I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I, I mean. really don't know. I'm trying to, it's just very unique to me. Uh, also, Global Force is interested in signing Jack Swagger. I don't know. I don't see Global Force being a good fit for him. Yeah, I'm not sure uh, where Jack Swagger would work. Jack Swagger's 35 years old. He's wrestled Michael Elgin, who's a big name on the Ring, indie circuit. Ring of Honor. Yeah, and is currently in the G1, Michael Elgin, uh, in New Japan. Yeah. But he's been using the name Jake Hager on the independent circuit, which is his real name. At 35, there's just not a lot of uh, upside in Jack Swagger. Don't know. I, I, I don't know what to tell him. <laughs> I don't know what to where to send Jack Swagger. Where would I want to see this guy? Yeah. Well, it's sort of like what happened with Damian Sandow when he went to uh, right. Impact Wrestling. Just nothing happened. Aaron yeah. Rex never really took off. Right. And so I, I just don't think it would be a wise choice. But who knows? Jack Swagger's non-compete is up so he can be on TV. So if someone wants to bring him in, they can. We've got, uh, there are talks of Enzo possibly going back to NXT. They don't feel like there's a fit for him as a singles competitor on Raw. Well, on Bring It to the Table, they buried this guy. They said that backstage he's got trouble with the boys or whatever. And whether that's true or not, for them to put that out there on their own programming, for JBL and Corey Graves to bring that up, I think it was very inappropriate i think if it's not true even if it is true it's just something you don't talk about that yeah that someone's got heat backstage and that people have to be kicked off buses and stuff like that no i knew as soon as they broke up this tag team there's no upside to enzo amore and it's sorry i mean the guy's just not a very good wrestler but he's in the, the ring but he's the best mouthpiece in in the company that's what yeah aside from paul Heyman, is he's the best on the mic so i feel like he could give there i just there's not anybody that i can think of pairing him with at the moment on either roster put him with the titus brand maybe he'll make the titus brand better because he's sort of a comedy guy and if you yeah. want if you want to put him with a big guy they want all their big guys to be monsters yeah. They don't want their big guys to be fun. And I, I don't think he's very talented in the ring to go to 205 Live. No. And so, yeah, I would send him back down to NXT and, yeah, pair him with pair him with a new wrestler that comes in that can't talk and figure it out. 
or get him in a tag team again. He's got such a definitive look, too. I mean, the guy's got a tattoo of a microphone on his hand. I mean, we yeah. know it's Enzo Amore. He can dye his hair and not look like a skunk, but we know it's Enzo Amore. I don't know what you do to... Yeah, you can't repackage him. He is what he is. And he was wild. I mean, he's very successful. While it's, it's, I feel like it's going to be hard to repackage Big Cass. I mean, there's a future for him, yes, but what kind of gimmick do you give him? I, I just don't see the upside of breaking the two of them up. Well, I thought it was kind of early, but you could yeah. tell, I mean, from last year when that fatal four-way, when he was, yeah, he was one step away from the Universal title, so you saw that they had this interest in him. When Enzo got a concussion and he was on his own for a few weeks and they saw... That he's he's serviceable on the microphone by himself. The time was ticking on Enzo and Cass, but you're right about his character, but they've been very light on character development in general. Yeah. I mean, what do we really know about Braun Strowman other than he's big and he smashes things? What do we know about Rusev? He's big and he smashes things. Big Cass. He's big, he'll probably smash things. I mean, that's they don't have any kind of story tied to them or no. motivation for their character yeah, to go do what they do other than that they're big. I just don't see an upside for for Enzo, even down in NXT, truthfully. I just don't. I have not watched that Bring It to the Table yet, so I don't know. Yeah, I only watched part of it. I didn't actually make it through to the part where they said this, but it was on the last one that aired after Raw last week. Okay. Um, I watched about the first three things, and I said, I can't do it anymore. Yeah. I just can't it's watch a, it. It's a terrible show. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, yeah, I feel sorry for Enzo. He got himself over. He got that team over all by himself, basically. Yeah. And uh, they never won titles at NXT or in, on the main roster as a tag team. They did it themselves. Even with scripted material, they found a way to deliver it in yeah. a way that, that got the crowd involved and made people want to see them. And there's not a lot of performers on the roster that can take a piece of scripted material and say, here, say this. And, and pull it off. And then, yeah, and then also he was probably given some leeway to ad-lib and he was very good at that as well and yeah. uh i mean they canceled talking smack patrick so there's not a lot of room for ad-libbing in in the wwe so well here's the deal though i mean you brought that up uh wwe is also cutting costs and uh yeah, network costs yeah yeah in more ways than one but a network costs absolutely uh it's looking like they're going to cut new content from the network so what you're going to be getting is a lot of older stuff. Ride-alongs and all that are doing the cartoon stuff. Instead of going to the full extent of doing the animation stuff, throw a camera in front of somebody, do what you got to do. Yeah, you'll get, you'll still get, I think, ride-along and table for three. I think yeah. you'll still get stuff that's cheap to produce. But yeah, like Camp WWE, whatever that costs them to make, any kind of story time, any yeah. animated stuff, that's going to be cut. Because like we said last week, we talked about, I mean, they've got my $10 because I, I like watching the archives. I mean, that's right. mainly what I get it for. Yeah. They've kind of hit this number on their subscribers where it's just about the same. It goes up a little bit. It may go down a little bit, but it's it's usually around the same number. So now it's time to test us to see what it takes for us to say, you're not getting my $10. And dropping all those, dropping Edge and Christian show and dropping talking smack and stuff isn't enough for me to say, no, I'm taking my $10 away from you. So... Yeah. And they've got plenty of archives. They've got hours and hours of archives. That, that that's they can, the thing. I would much rather them put on more archives. 
Yeah, they just uploaded uh, WWECW uh, up until 2009, which is I think is when it folded, actually. So the, if it's not completely up there, it's mostly up there. So yeah. uh, I mean, I would I would much rather have you know I keep I'm going to beat this dead horse till it I get what I want. I want Thunder on there. I want Saturday Night episodes as well. Yeah. I want Thunder. You want Saturday Night. I want Shotgun Saturday Night. Yeah, or some old Sunday Night Heats. Yeah. Uh, there's uh, there's a lot of missing pieces. Here. Yeah, the, there are pieces to that puzzle that they could throw in there. and uh, doesn't cost them anything. No. Whatever. Who, Not a bit. It costs them whatever they pay the guy that sits there and cuts it and puts it and uploads it. So. Yeah. And he already works there, so yeah, it's a bummer to think that original programming's going to get dwindled down. I mean, we haven't had like a, a Stone Cold podcast on the network in a long time, so even something like that, just where they have to pay talent, pay outside talent to come in, yeah, it's a shame. But at the same time, I'm not going to drop the network because of it. So I think you're going to be getting more of the Kurt Angle special things like that, the sit down thirty minutes. One on one, yeah, twenty four specials and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, the stuff that they can shoot, edit, and go. Uh, they decided to let NXT, uh, which I don't watch NXT. Ho Ho Loon. Ho Ho Loon was in the Cruiserweight Classic. Okay, I think he might have had a match or two in NXT. He he actually asked for his release. They granted it. Yeah, he had some uh, personal issues with his family, but he was a very of the cruiserweight classic wrestlers, he was probably the worst out of that bunch. And got signed because he was Chinese and they want to expand in the Chinese market. And so they wanted to go ahead and give him a contract and hopefully he would get better. But they hadn't utilized him. He was I don't think he ever appeared on two oh five live other than to stand with the talent on like the first episode. The Chinese wrestling scene is not very prominent. Uh, Chinese wrestlers are not on the level uh, of an unsigned talent in America, so yeah. they need a lot of polishing, and it's going to take them a while to find that breakout Chinese superstar that they can put on television. Well, it's, and, it's it's also hard when you've got New Japan. The China market with, I mean, it's still communism, and their internet is restricted. Their right. Their freedom of press is restricted. Their access to certain things is restricted, so even if you're... A Chinese wrestling fan getting the material is tough enough, you know. Like, uh, I mean, you probably have to go through lots of hurdles just to get the network. So uh, this is uh, going to take the company many years, and probably China many years to get a pro wrestling scene going. But he won't. He won't be missed though, because he was not. Uh, <laughs> he's still very young. He's still a very young guy, and he just he just wasn't ready for for this for this role. Yeah. Rey Mysterio, uh, he smashes rumors about going back to the WWE. They brought Alberto Del Rio back, uh, you know, last year in hopes that they would have a big Latino superstar. And when that didn't pan out, instead of finding a new one, like they've got uh, Cian Almas down in NXT that they could groom or like yeah. uh, Grand Matalik in uh, 205 Live that they could make easily put him on the main roster not only that but like uh and not to mention they've had this guy on their roster named Kalisto that uh could 
that speaks English, by the way, too. Yes. They've got talent within their own roster that they could promote and push if they really want to have a, a Latino superstar. To think that they would go back to the well with Rey Mysterio and his bad knees. I mean, I love Rey Mysterio just like the next guy, but I was never impressed with his WWE run. And towards the end, he was very injury prone. And Yeah. Well, he has said that um, he has been in talks with them. They keep reaching out to him and he just keeps telling them no that he has no intentions of coming back he's happy where he is with lucha underground he's also happy with trying to merge and do maybe a little bit with global force they have that talent within the company they just keep reaching out to try to pull the same old card the well is dry the Rey mysterio well has run dry sorry it's like i said he was amazing in wcw and he had a very good career uh even when he went to the wwe Got the world title, was a very badly booked world champion, but it's time to just move on from him. And they had a very ugly parting. I mean, he so he had an injury towards the end of his run, and he had a year left on his contract, and the company wanted wanted to hold him to that year, even though he wanted out, because you owe us time, like you owe us back time based on your knee injury. And he had to go to court to get out of it, basically. And so it was a very ugly parting, so I can see why he would immediately dismiss them. You know, they bring everybody, but, you know, everybody seems to always bury the hatchet. So, um, but in this case, it looks like Ray's going to uh, stand firm for the time being. Well, in cutting costs, uh, Eva Marie, she asked for her release, and it was granted. Eva Marie, we haven't seen on the WWE TV at all. No, since since, uh, since last year. Yeah, right before SummerSlam last year was her uh, wellness violation. And so uh, so we're going a year off of TV, not even on Total Divas. She wasn't on Total Divas I don't either. believe so. I think they actually cut her out of that, just like they did Paige. Well, Paige was still on there. They cut around Alberto Del Rio. Yeah. Uh, references to him, but he, but she was still on there. Uh, Eva Marie uh, never learned how to wrestle. You can only go so far when you can't wrestle. You're not very good on the mic. She looked good doing it, though. Or at least she's trying. a beautiful, beautiful Maxim. I mean, she was on Maxim's like Hot 100. Yeah. I mean, you can look good, but you have to be able to do something, anything. I mean, they even tried to make her Fandango's valet at one point. She can't dance. I mean, there it was. It doesn't matter. Lana, I'm all about Lana. Okay? Lana can't wrestle right now. Lana can't wrestle. I'm all about Lana. Lana can't wrestle. Lana can't dance. But Lana would come out. Just do the valet thing. Yeah, people but she could people get on, loved her more than they did Rusev. But they could but she could at least get on the mic. I mean, she was the mouthpiece for Rusev. True. I mean, she did very good promo work. Even Marie couldn't even do that. There was a great clip on Twitter I saw one time. They said, Okay, Eva, you can be a ring announcer. This was on Total Divas or something. You can be a ring announcer, Eva Marie. We'll give you a shot at that. See what you do. She's introducing 3MB. Oh, yeah, and she forgets Jinder Mahal. Yeah, she does not. Completely. The Maharaja, she forgot this man's yeah. name. Yes. And so introduced two parts of 3MB and then went backstage and Jinder looks at her and he says, do you know my name? And she says, Ginger Mahal? <laughs> yeah, this woman, I'm sorry, she just did not have... No. Anything to offer other than to be a 
an amazing looking woman. Pamela Anderson and uh, Jenny McCarthy at WrestleMania. Yeah. Did you see their contribution? They walked out and sat in a chair, but it didn't make anybody cheer. It didn't make anybody, woo! It didn't do anything. Maybe in a different era, you could have women that just looked good because pornography was not accessible on the internet, you know? Now, if you want to see a beautiful woman who's completely nude, you can go anywhere and find it. I know you do that a lot. So Yeah, exactly. I'm an expert in this field. But <laughs> there's just more There's more to this business now in 2017 for women especially. Oh, I agree. Than, than being just pretty side pieces. I agree. But I also feel like the sport is missing its sex appeal too. The women's division, the women wrestlers, they're very attractive. I don't... Uh, I'm, not, I mean, I'm not saying that at all. And I, I... You have heard more and more people complaining about that just recently. And so WWE has started doing, doing like, you know, swimsuit photo shoots and things like that, trying to bring a happy medium back. That they don't acknowledge it on television, but it is on their their WWE.com. Yeah, there was like so. a photo shoot with uh with Lana and Eva Marine Baywatch yeah. gear. I yeah, think. and so. that was on Total Divas. So uh, so they are trying to to find that happy medium, which I'm all for. I'm I'm just strictly saying that there are a lot of people who have uh, who have made those comments, and and I tend to agree with them that you can be you can be talented, and you can go in there and kick ass and take names. But you can also be attractive doing it too. Yeah, well, I mean, Alexa Bliss is a very good-looking woman. I mean, I don't think that I don't think they need to ramp up any sexuality on on television. I don't. No, I'm not saying it's fine. Ramp it up. I'm. I mean, there. I mean, these women are still, with very few exceptions, very very gorgeous. Oh, women, yeah. I mean, gorgeous ladies of wrestling glow. This is Eva Marie is a very attractive woman, but. She's not a very good wrestler, and when you can have an Alexa Bliss or a Carmella who are halfway decent wrestlers, I mean, I'm not going to say that they're setting the world on fire in the ring, Yeah, but they're very, very good looking. She could have done, if she wanted this, if she really had a passion for this business or this industry, she didn't have to do much, but she didn't even want to do that. Yeah. And even then, she had a long run in this company. I mean, even... With doing the bare minimum. She had a very long run in this company, so good for her to get a paycheck for this long by doing nothing. Well, she's branched out, and she's done the, uh, she started her own uh, makeup line. She started her own clothing line. Yeah, she wants to be Instagram famous, like, you know, so many others. And and she, uh, I see her probably showing up in, in like a global force or a ring of honor. I don't think they'll have enough money for her. And I don't think, like I said, she has very little to offer in the ring. And even as a mouthpiece. She has no husband that is a pro wrestler. She just married a random dude. True. So this is the end of the road for the wrestling career for her. She can go to conventions and make a bunch of money in signings. And she can go and do the occasional indie show as a valet or whatever. And make a killing if she wants to. But I I just think this, this is the end of the road for her as far as wrestling goes it was long overdue in my opinion i mean like i said yeah she she had a quite a run in this company for someone that can't she did have quite a run cannot wrestle i agree she i felt i still think though that she has a lot more to offer the wrestling business but guess what what's that 
Did you know that O.J. Simpson is being released in October? Just in time for a pay-per-view. Just in time for a pay-per-view. Hell in a cell. Did you know as well, Ford has announced they're bringing back the Bronco this year. Oh, backlot brawl. Cue it up. Oh, that's what I'm saying. Isn't that a coincidence, huh? Goldust is still an active wrestler for this company. There you go. You've got it booked. I've got it. A 70-plus-year-old O.J. Simpson in in a match. No, I don't think it was a good idea then. I still... I would uh, vote against that now. Which brings us to your pick for this week, SummerSlam 1994, sponsored by Domino's Pizza, which had the tie-in so hot it's scary because they would deliver hot pizza to your house. And guess what? The main event, I'm betting The Undertaker wins. In the main event of SummerSlam 94, it's of course the Underfaker storyline. It's August 29th, 1994. In front of 23,000 people, allegedly, at the United Center, which had just opened up the house that Jordan built in Chicago, Illinois, where the Blackhawks and the Chicago Bulls play all of their games at to this day, which I thought this arena was actually older than that. But I was confusing it with that uh, Rosemont Horizon, which is just outside Chicago. That's yes. much older. Much older. And uh, they, they still run shows there. They still run pay-per-views there. Chicago crowds have always been very good to... The WWF uh, is far back, even in 94, even in this down period. This was a pretty hot crowd at yeah. times. Yeah. And, I mean, many, many great shows have happened in Chicago, including uh, the Money in the Bank where uh, CM Punk left with the championship and blew a kiss to Vince McMahon to Vince, yes. on his way out. Yes. That is where we head. And I made a huge mistake when I was reviewing this pay-per-view because I wrote down my notes for the first few matches. But then, Patrick, I forgot to copy and paste it and email it to myself or save it. So for the first couple matches, I will have to look at someone else's notes. That's okay. That's okay. You did not miss much. I didn't miss much, but I did Did miss... Did not miss much. I thought uh, the opening couple of matches here were actually pretty good. Live from Chicago, our hosts for this evening are commentators. We get Vince and the King again. But before we go to them... Uh Uh-oh. Here comes the Macho Man. Oh, yeah. To simply welcome us to the show. Yeah, pretty much. Walks, Walks down... A beautiful gold and black. He looked like a million bucks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Looked killer. Walks down to the ring with a camera and a microphone. Walks around, passes it over to Vince and King. Climbs in the ring, does a pose, and leaves. But they would bring him back at the very end to tell us good night as well. So he says, good morning and good night from the Macho Man here at SummerSlam 94. Now, Vince and Jerry, they go over the main events as as usual. Yeah. But they also mention a small detail that sort of ruins the opening match. They let the tag team titles switch on a house show in Indianapolis. So the head shrinkers lost to the dudes with attitudes. Do you know why? I'm going to give you a little backstory to why the titles the titles changed hands. Why did why what's the backstory here? The backstory is is the working man's champion, Bret Hart, did actually in fact have strep throat, but it was his throat was so swollen that he could not grasp his breath well enough to be in the well, ring. It's a highly contagious strep throat. You should not be it, like when we watched Austin wrestle with a staph infection. That's very bad. The yeah. strep throat is also very bad too. It's very contagious. Yeah, you're supposed to stay home and stay away from people when you have this. And and uh, Brett, who uh, 
did not miss hardly any bookings whatsoever. Was pretty much oh, always very proud of that fact yeah. too. The well, hardest working champion in yeah, WWF. That's history. what I said. The working man's champion. He uh, but he pretty much was was told, listen, hey, you gotta, you're not gonna be able to make it. This, you know, you gotta sit this one out. Not just for you, but for the safety of the rest of the roster. When you have announced and promoted the WWF champion, Brett the Hitman Hart's going to be at your show, and he doesn't show up, you got to do something. And so, tag titles change dance. I would still be very, if I had bought tickets at house show and the champion didn't show up, I'd be a little pissed. I'd be very upset. I don't know that I'd stick around to watch this tag team match. I probably would have. I don't know if they did it back then, but they at the house show we went to several years ago, they offered you a full refund if you just got up and left. Yeah, true. He was supposed to wrestle Jeff Hardy. Yes. Flair uh, no-showed, and they uh, they came over the microphone and said uh, you had till the end of the first, first match. First match, right. To go back and... And if they did that back then in 94, I probably would have done it actually really i mean yeah because i'm not getting my title match i'm just not getting my money's worth i don't yeah. think yeah but then i would have missed a tag team title match and then i would have felt like a fool exactly i missed a major once i've paid to park <laughs> yeah stood well, in line exactly stood in line went got through in security there, went through security got in there got found, my t-shirt found my seat yeah got my t-shirt and all that you know what i'm forget it i'm here i'm staying so our opening match loses a little bit of luster here as the head shrinkers now beltless Yes. We'll take on the Million Dollar Corporation, who we just saw last week. Which I never knew the Head Shrinkers were tag champs. So, yeah, I'd forgotten this title reign as I well. Didn't, I didn't remember it at all. And, well, we didn't get to see it here. So, yeah, so. maybe it never happened. Maybe this was all, it's it all was work. all work, man. It's all work. Don't work yourself into a shoot. They're accompanied by Alpha and Captain Lou Albano. Yes. Everyone needs multiple managers in this match. Yes. Absolutely. Bam Bam is out with IRS and, of course, Ted DiBiase. They come out to Ted DiBiase's theme song, which is a very yeah. underrated theme song. Yes, by the, way. the Million Dollar Corporation. However, Ted is busy getting set up for the main event with the real Undertaker. He's got a lot of work to do tonight. Yeah. He's got to try to bribe Lex Luger in one match. Yes. And then in his main event, he's got his own Undertaker yes. that he's trying to sell so, to us. So you Ted's know, getting a, a lot of paydays listen, tonight. Listen, Erwin, I, I got faith in you. You and Bam Bam go out there do what you gotta do bring home a win for the uh for the million dollar corporation bam bam and the big quiche trade some power stuff to start the match and bigelow eats a super kick for a two bam bam comes through with an insiguri and vince minutes into this match calls it a grueling matchup only oh, brutal. Se- brutal brutal they just started Irwin tags in goes nowhere misses a charge and goes flying to the outside where he gets beaten up then Bigelow pulls down the top rope, causing the big quiche to go crashing to the floor. And thankfully, he landed on his big bottom and yes. not his uh, neck, as this was a scary bump that he took here. Yes. It didn't look like he was expecting to be ripped out of the ring. They had a couple of good double team moves, including uh, headbutts, uh, double team super kicks, the head shrinkers uh, to the Million Dollar Corporation. A double front leg sweep. The finishing sequence is the big quiche is going to go flying over Samu with the splash of doom. Or, I mean, uh, Superfly Jimmy Snooker splash. Or uh, Owen Hart, the rocket, used to... Uh the rocket launcher yeah. off of uh, Neidhart would yeah. do this move. The ref gets distracted by Ted DiBiase, and then, for some reason, Alpha decides to go in the ring right in front of the ref and smash one of the Million Dollar Corporation's ding-ding-ding DQ. Yeah. 
That's it. And that's it. All hell breaks loose and they brawl to the back. And what I thought was an actually, the match was going fine. Yeah. And then they just got the rug pulled out from under them and he said, your seven minutes is up, guys. It's uh, It's time to go home. You have no belts. You have no heat for this match other than the crowd chanting Irwin a few times at IRS here. Yeah. So, uh, but I I still thought this was a very good opener. The Samoa and SWAT team, the head shrinkers here. This would be uh, pretty much towards the end of their run. Samu would uh, hit the bricks. Yeah. Keish would stay with the company and team with the Barbarian, and uh, then of course do numerous gimmicks of his own time, like uh, keeping it real Fatu or whatever his name was. Yeah, and then he was, uh, then he became the, um, the samurai. Was that his? No, it was uh, now the Sultan. Oh yes, the Sultan, the Sultan. with, uh, of course, uh, Shiki Baby. Yes, as his manager. So Keish would continue on in this company for a very long time end up in the hall of fame ladies and gentlemen and i mean samoans in general in the wwf have had and still to this day have very good careers this is yeah look at roman reigns this family that anawahi family from umaga yokozuna rikishi Roman Reigns, The Rock. I mean, yeah. So, uh, what'd you think of this opener here? Oh, it was a good match. It's a lot better than our next one. What? Yeah. I loved the next match. No. I thought no. the next match was excellent. No. No. Before we get to our next match, we have to go backstage to Leslie Nielsen. He's promoting Naked Gun 33 and 1 thirds, which is the Naked Gun sequel. It's the last one out of the out of the. Uh, the it's series. the final insult. Yeah. yeah, it all ties together. But he is on the case of the yeah. missing Undertaker. He is. He's he, looking for it. He walks backstage and he runs into Captain Ed Hawken, played by George Kennedy, and he still cannot find the Undertaker. No. He's not having any luck with this Undertaker searching gig. I hope they didn't pay him a lot to, as a private eye, to go look because. Didn't really do his job. You know what? I will have him be my private eye any day of the week. Well, he's going to have a tough time now because he's dead. We get a locker room interview with Razor Ramon. He is ready because he's got Walter Payton in his corner for tonight against Diesel for the IC belt, or as Kevin Nash would call it, the, the strap is on the line later on. Up next, the women's title match, which you hate for some reason. Alundra Blaze will take on Bull Nakano, who... Outside of one other wrestler, I think, was the only competition Alunder Blaze yeah. ever had. Yeah. Alunder Blaze did great. Bull Nakano is one of the worst female wrestlers I've ever seen in my oh, life. Oh, you are re- you're out of your mind. She is fantastic. I don't know about that. She really is. She was a great wrestler, and I really enjoyed this match. I have not seen a match of hers that I liked. Well, she would go on to wrestle for WCW as well, very briefly. She retired very early, ended up being uh, a pro golfer for a minute. So, got out of the business pretty early. Smart. It's smart to uh, get out of the business when you still can. Get out, yeah. Alundra is, of course, as you know, Medusa from WCW. So, we have a future pro golfer in Bull Nakano taking on the future pro monster truck driver, Medusa. Blaze tries a couple of drop kicks to start but bull shoves her aside and then takes over as she would whip her from by her hair patrick ouch would just grab alundra blaze by her hair and just 
flinger across the ring. Blaze hits a Hurricane Rana, unheard of in the WWF. Frankensteiner is what yes. it would be called in the WCW. And only gets a two count, misses a roundhouse kick, and Bull chokes her out. Then Bull locks her in a Boston Crab, but Alundra makes it to the ropes. Bull follows with a standing sharpshooter slash chicken wing called Bulls Angelito, which was a very cool-looking submission move, which gets ooze from the crowd. I mean, they were... The crowd was very into this match. Oh, yeah. The work rate here was the very crowd, impressive. The crowd was into it, and the, the submission looked awesome. Blaze uh, gets a quick two off a roll-up. Then Nakano hooks in an arm bar, which actually looks like a... MMA-style armbar on Alundra Blaze. Blaze comes back with, of course, hair pull slams and gets a two count. Bull reverses a pile driver and covers for two, but Blaze bridges out, tries a backslide for a near fall. Then she tries a Hurricane Rana and gets power bombed. Unheard of at the time, other than Diesel. No one's doing power bombs, really. But only gets a two count because, of course, Alundra Blaze... She's not going to lose in Chicago to the Japanese heel. Bull goes to the top rope, tries a guillotine leg drop, misses it. Alundra Blazen hits a bridging German suplex and retains the title at 8 minutes 20 seconds. Gets a huge ovation from this crowd for the work rate. By the way, for some reason, um, Luna Vachon came out with Bull Nakano. Did nothing in this match. nothing. So there you go. Alundra Blaze retains her belt, which she would be throwing in the garbage in WCW and... Yes. A year's time. So yes. there you go. All right. So now here's my beef with this match. Took way too long. It was 20 minutes. No, it was 8.20. No, this is what you feel like it felt like. Yes, this is what it felt like. Well, because it was heatless because it's the women's division and they and, have no so they I have just, no storyline. I did not enjoy the match. That is very weird. I am very surprised because this was my favorite match, I think, on this card was this match. Really? Yes, I loved this match. See, and, of course, the women's division would get buried right after this. So that Yes, it did. That's true. But I really enjoyed it. I thought they were doing, they were doing like, cruiserweight-style moves that the work rate in today's WWE is as great as it's ever been. It would take many years to get to where we are today, and I thought this was just well ahead of anything that they were doing in the ring at the time. So I was very impressed. It just didn't do anything for me. I would have been better if it wasn't even on the pay-per-view. I thought it delivered. It had no storyline to it, but I enjoy good wrestling, and I just thought it was a good wrestling match. Todd Pattengill is backstage with the dudes with attitudes, and Diesel says he's... Like King Midas, because he's got he's got all the gold. He's Everything got the, he touches turns to gold. He's got the IC belt and the tag belt, and Sean is just so overconfident. Don't worry about that, Walter Payton. He's a slob. No. I got your back, big man. Got all the help you need right here. Thank you very much, Vince. We are indeed here with the new WWF Tag Team Champions just last night. Market Square Arena, Indianapolis. Big Daddy Cool, Intercontinental Champion Diesel, and Shawn Michaels, Heartbreak Kid, taking the titles away from the Head Shrinkers. That's right, Toss. You know something? Between Big Daddy Cool and myself, collectively, we have held the Intercontinental Championship belt for the last two years. So we got to thinking the Heartbreak Hotel needs just a little bit more gold. So we decided to go out and become the World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Champions. And what happens? Presto changeo, Big Daddy Cool, and the Heartbreak Kid deliver. Just proven that we are the two most happening cats in all of the World Wrestling Federation. However, tonight it will not be a tag title match. <laughs> 
pinhead. It'll be the bad guy, Razor Ramon, against Diesel one-on-one. The self-proclaimed bad guy, Razor Ramon. Well, maybe my moniker should be Midas, because everything I touch turns to gold. Well, let me tell you something, bad guy. In the Windy City, tonight, it ain't gonna happen. You ain't getting my gold. You know why? Because me and the heartbreak like where we're at, and that's on top. Bad guy, you've had a lot of chances, and you haven't come through yet. What makes you think it's gonna happen tonight? Folks, we may be happen. We may be overlooking one thing. NFL Hall of Famer, sweetness, former Chicago Bear, Walter Payton. I got news for you. Big Daddy Cool and the Heartbreak Kid overlook everybody, especially you, you little munchkin. I got news for you. Razor Ramon and Sweetness, when Diesel and the Heartbreak Kid get done with you, you two cats are going to be oh so bitter. Oh, let's go, big man. Another victory. Folks, let's go back to the squared circle and ring announcer Howard Finkel. It's time for the Intercontinental title match. Diesel will take on Razor Ramon. It's the Outsiders explode. Yeah. As this is all the Click members... The beginning of the the click running wild in uh, WWF here. And of course, Razor would be accompanied by Walter Payton, the greatest running back in Chicago Bears history. I mean, if this doesn't get the crowd fired up, I mean, there's... Yeah. There's no... I mean, he's already going to be cheered because he's the face in the match, but I yeah. mean, they they paired him with this legend in Chicago in this new stadium. Yeah, Razor was very warmly received. This is a big venue, and so and they, they did. They went crazy for, for Razor and for Walter Payton. I was not aware that when Kevin Nash comes out, when Diesel comes out, his music, I didn't know that it... He, it sucks. It's terrible. It's I, just truck noises. Yeah. It's just the horn. And over, it went on forever. Over and over again. I never, I thought it was the regular diesel music that he's always yeah, had. Yeah, it had some harmonica and yeah, shit in yeah. it. Yeah, I didn't know that it, he had this <laughs> version. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, and I'm waiting for it, and I'm waiting for it to hit while I'm watching him walk out, and I'm, what the fuck is this shit? Yeah, it sounded like someone was actually driving a truck through yeah. the United Center. Yeah, just laying on the horn over and over again. It was yeah, and the compression brakes. I yeah. mean, that's all. The, I mean, it was terrible too it because was, it, it took them bad. a long time to get to the ring. Yes, it, it was, was looping. It was bad. It was so. I'm bad. glad you mentioned that because that was in my notes. Of course, like just truck noises. I mean. Yeah. You're a truck! And he goes to uh, the guy that used to make all the music. I forget his name. Jim Johnston. Jim Johnston. His his name is Diesel. Make some music. <laughs> you have one week. <laughs> truck noises. Done. Send it on down the line. I'm glad that they added the harmonica and the... the yeah. Yeah, because if he kept the this... The blues beat, yeah. Oh, yeah. If he kept this, it, it, his career alone would have been dead before it ever hit the title. The title match. At <laughs> it's all. so annoying, yeah. yeah. Laying on the horn because everyone loves a good horn sound, you know. Yeah, because I love it. I love to hear it on the road, you know. Yeah, followed by you know a nice. Nothing little... gets me psyched like a good honk. Yeah, yeah. Fol- <laughs> followed, followed by somebody telling me that I'm number one. Ramon starts the match by tossing his toothpick at Diesel, and he sells it. He was like, "Whoa, yeah, this toothpick." 
really caught me. But I know that Diesel should have done a little bit of scouting on Razor Ramon and realized he does this in every single match, especially that, as their friends. That I mean, toothpick is coming. Sean is able to just interfere at will. He is able to distract the ref, get the ref's attention turned to Walter Payton, and can just help out Diesel at will throughout this match. The whole match. Diesel ends up with a sleeper on Ramon. Ramon backdrops out, but ends up going over the top to the floor, allowing Sean to just take off a turnbuckle pad. No big deal. And get in Walter Payton's face. Diesel continues the assault on Ramon back in the ring. He runs Ramon into the exposed buckle back first. Then hits a nasty side slam for a two count. He hits Snake Eyes, thankfully, on a padded turnbuckle on Ramon. And then Sean, he's like, no, I'll just interfere some more. Ramon gets no offense here in uh, the 95% of this match. A big elbow from Diesel gets two. Now, Ramon tries to hulk up, but it fails because Diesel goes for Snake Eyes again. Ramon luckily escapes and cradles Diesel for a two count. Razor hulks up again. And this time he succeeds and gets the better of Fistman cuffs ship and then post diesel, which leads to the bulldog off the top for a two count. A dramatic body slam gets a two. Sean gets involved, but goes flying into the railing, taking the actual best bump from this match. Oh, yeah. Diesel ends up on the top, but Ramon can't suplex him off. I thought he was going to try a razor's edge off the top. That's what I was thinking he was going to try to. Because he's too big to do it on his own. So. Right. But Ramon can't do it. Diesel goes for the jackknife, but Ramon backdrops out. The only way out of the powerbomb. Sean says, you know what? I'm going to interfere again. Sean is like, I'm going to belt shot Razor with this IC belt. But Walter Payton is like, no, no, no. That won't be happening. Walter Payton runs over and grabs the belt from Sean. And they have a tug of war, and it looked like they were going to tear this belt in half, actually. Yes. Like, it really, they had a lot of tension on it was this an belt. In, yes. Walter, Walter Payton. Ends up the better of ends it. Ends up the better of the two with the belt. The ref's, ref's like, like, hey. The ref's sticking with Walter saying, hey, dude, you go back to your corner. You need to leave the belt That's over not your here. belt. Yeah, you need to get situated where you're supposed to be. Sean, realizing the back's turned, Nash Diesel's got, you know, Razor's uh, arms behind his back. I mean, he's wide open. Yeah. Sean slides in. Music slides in, hits the corner, tunes up the band, goes for it. Boom. And what's that? Razor ducked. <laughs> Whoops. Whoops. Nails Diesel. Gets mad. Slides out of the <laughs> ring just so long as Razor can slide right over him and pin him. One, two, three. 
Smash point 1505, and Peyton then brawls with Michaels. Wow, this was a... Uh, Razor had no offense. I mean, won the None. match. This was None. just diesel, diesel, diesel. We have some tension between the dudes with attitudes because, Sean, the band played for the wrong man. Yeah. And, uh, this is the beginning of where we would go to WrestleMania 11, so we've kind of done this in reverse. So. We have, yes. Even though they just got the tag team belts last night, so you would think they would be on the same page, but immediately... It's a uh, it's breakup not, central. It's not looking good. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not seeing a long run in their future here. What do you think about this match in general? Oh, it was a great match. The crowd loved it because Walter Payton was there, they were and that's really it. all that fucking yeah. mattered. And Sean, despite being not in this match, was, was in this match. Well, <laughs> was in this match and <laughs> did all the best work. Yeah, I mean, just, yeah. all his selling, all yeah. his distracting the ref, it all was logical. When he when he took that punch, flies from the apron, turns midair, and just face plants right onto the. The guard His rail. selling ability oh, is the just second rail. to none. It was insane. I was like, oh, that's beautiful. The, what killed me, though, is three minutes later, he's standing up and he's going again, like no, like nobody's business. Yeah. It was very, very entertaining. Sean and Diesel are interviewed, uh-oh, separately. We have some dissension. And now this is where my notes finally... Can't believe it. It's party time over here in Chicago. This place is going bananas. Congratulations to you, Razor Ramon, for winning the Intercontinental Championship for a second time. And Shawn Michaels, I wouldn't want to be you for all the money in the world. Because when Big Daddy Cool Diesel gets a hold of you, there will be nothing left. But then again, you guys are tag team champions. What a dilemma. Well, once again, congratulations to the bad guy. Now, I'm going to take you to Vince McMahon. Vince, take it away. Oh, yeah. Thank you very much, Randy Savage. Let's go back. Pick back up. I sort of... Cliff noted the version of uh, 411 Mania. 411 Mania has done a review of this show, so thank you for the first couple of matches uh, for for me because I was stupid. and I had great notes for the first matches and the interviews and little things, but... It's all right. The greatest match ever... It's still to come. It's still to come. Todd is backstage with Tatanka and Lex Luger. Yes. Now, there's some been some real question about Luger's integrity. I'm telling you. And allegiance to America. Listen, America is all money-hungry. Capitalism. And when it comes right down to it, money talks. Bullshit walks. Bullshit walks. Luger... Luger is joining the corporation. He's on the take. He's on the take. I'm calling it right here, right now. They somehow did a survey. I don't know what they did a survey on in 94, but 54% of people think that Luger sold out to the Million Dollar Man. So the audience is pretty divided over whether they think Luger actually took the money. Because otherwise, this is two faces at the time facing yes. off in this match. So someone someone needs to be a bad guy here. Yeah. Tatanka says, I don't blame Luger for taking the money. And look, we see all the footage that shows you receiving all the help from the Million Dollar Man. Yeah. Over the weeks, the Million Dollar Man has been bailing Luger out week after week. He shows up at ringside in his corner. You know, he's handed him money. He's given him a bag. You know. <laughs> he's given him a bag. He shows, I love that. He shows up going into his room earlier that day with a red, white, and blue bag. He had his tights. To, um, he just had his tights. That's all. You know. His little Speedo. Which he has a big bag for a little Speedo. It's very weird. 
But he had he had his you know his knee pads and his elbow pad in there and all that yeah. too. Thank you very much, and let me be amongst those adding their congratulations to the bad guy, Chico Razor Ramon. He once again becomes WWF Intercontinental Champion. An absolutely awesome matchup, folks. Right now, I'm standing between Made in the USA Lex Luger and the Native American superstar Tatanka. Gentlemen, before we do anything, we've got to give you the results of the WWF SummerSlam Hotline Opinion Poll. Thank you. The burning question: Did Lex sell out to the million? man Ted DiBiase. Here are the results. 54% of you said yes. He sold out. 46% of you said no. Lex, your reaction to those numbers? You know, Todd, you can take all the opinion polls you'd ever Luger, want to I'm take. I'm so tired of hearing you that you didn't sell out. At least 54% of the people in this great country has got the right opinion. You know, Lex, the whole world is going to find out that you sold out. You know that you sold out. More important, I know that you sold out. I've got plenty of facts and plenty of proof. How about the time on King's Court when the Million Dollar Man said it's a done deal? It's a done deal, Lex. How about when the Million Dollar Man came down by ringside and he was watching you, Lex? How about on Heartbreak Hotel when you're saying you didn't sell out? I'm telling you, telling the whole world the truth that you sold out. You and Ted on a first-name basis. Ted, Lex, Lex, Ted. Come on, Lex, you sold out. How about when I come down after my match, where'd I find you? In the Million Dollar Man's dressing room. Oh, how about this one? Million Dollar Man comes down and conveniently helps you defeat Crush. And more important than that, everyone's seen it today. Everyone's seen it. The Million Dollar Man coming to your dressing room with a red, white, and blue bag. What is the bag got? Plenty of money, Lex? You sold out. The whole world is going to find out in a few moments that you sold out. I said I can beat you anywhere, any place. Well, today is the time I'm going to ringside. You go get the Million Dollar Man and come strut down ringside because I'll be waiting for you in the ring. You know, they could show all the footage they want of Ted DiBiase saying and doing whatever he pleases. It's a free country. He can say Tatanka whatever he thinks he believes in. It's a free country. But deep down in my soul, I know what the truth is. I didn't sell out. I never considered selling out. And that's what we're going to find out tonight. Because I'm going out the ring by myself like I always do. And I'm going to win this match by myself like I always do. Without anybody's help like Ted DiBiase's. Ladies and gentlemen, Tatanka on his way to the squared circle. Let's get back to ringside. Luger, of course, denies all this. And they start kind of shoving around. And now it's time for the match. Yeah. Time to see where your allegiance stands. I'm telling you right now. It's the real American versus the Native American coming up. This one will end differently for the Native American, I have a feeling. Do you now? Yeah, I think I think this is where the Native American gets their revenge over the capitalist pig Americans. So. I, I, I'm telling you, Luger sold out. I'm calling it right now. Tatanka is out first, and then Made in the USA Lex Luger comes out next. We get a long standoff where Tatanka just yells, Sell out, sell out, sell out at Luger. From across the ring. That's right. Tatanka hits a crossbody for two. Luger reverses it into a cover of his own for two. Tatanka does his running wild, which is his chop fest, and then finishes it with a top rope chop for a near fall on the Lexorcist. DiBiase 
is coming down with the money bag. See, I told you. The briefcase. I told you. And Luger is distracted by the money. So Luger's, I think Luger's trying to tell him, listen, go to, go to this corner. This is my corner, my put designated the money over corner. Here. Put the money over here. DiBiase then sets the money into the ring. Patrick, I think you were wrong because Luger kicks away the money. What? That is so stupid. Never turn down money. Never. Even if he stayed face here, take the money. Yeah. At WrestleMania 9, after Hogan won that tag match, they took the money. They were the faces, and they won, and they took the fucking money. Just take the money. It's okay to take the money. Exactly. You won it fair and square, basically. Right. If I bring a wad of money and set it in the ring... I'm going to slide in the ring, grab it, and run like hell. So, you know? Yeah. It's DiBiase, he's the million-dollar man. He has plenty of other money. He won't miss it, and uh, he's giving it to you, basically. He has has a bookshelf in his house just for his bank books. That's how much money this man has. Tatanka then gets the distracted Luger, who was distracted with money... And rolls him up for the win. Uh Uh-oh. It was Tatanka on the take the whole time, Patrick. What? The Native American. I guess he was channeling the casino movement. That's it. Tatanka hits two end of the trails, which is his Samoan drops, to Luger after the match. Tatanka leaves, but Million Dollar Man says, "Uh, go back there and give him a little bit more. So Tatanka goes in the ring and hooks in the Million Dollar Dream, which I guess when you join Ted DiBiase's stable, you get permission to use the Million Dollar Dream. And then Tatanka takes a dollar, a single dollar bill. And stuffs it. A hundred dollar bill. It was a hundred dollar bill and stuffs it in his mouth. Choke on that, brother. So there you go. This match was a. uh, I was wrong. You were wrong. I mean. I have to apologize to Lex Luger for being wrong. Yeah, Luger would only take the money when he got to WCW. That's That's, when he took the money. That's when he took the money. This match was not very good as far as in the ring. No. But I loved the storyline. I loved that. The storyline was great. The storyline made this match actually work. And DiBiase, his part throughout the weeks of building this match, is the only reason this match happened. Yeah, because these two performers certainly couldn't carry mic time. No. Gorilla Monsoon is in the hotline room with a promo. Then your boy, J-E-double-F. J-A-R-R-E-T-S-Double-J, Jeff Jarrett. Oh, ain't he great? He's out next. He's in blue and green tights. Whoa. You got to turn the volume down from this uh, tight combination he's got on. Yeah. Then, of course, it's time for Men on a Mission. Mabel is wrapped to the ring by Oscar. This is country music versus rap. This is the West Texas Rednecks years before they actually did it. That's right. Rap is crap. Mabel no-sells Jarrett top rope smashes before finally catching him in a bear hug on the last one. Jarrett locks in a sleeper on Mabel. Mabel hits a spinning heel kick for two, the most athletic thing he's ever done. Knuckleball, the wrestler, is shown in the crowd. He's on strike, apparently. Abe Knuckleball Schwartz, he's on the strike. No further mention of this during the show. This is just a random cutaway. Do you know who Abe Knuckleball Schwartz is? No. You do not know who what is What is going on with Abe Knuckleball? Do you know Schwartz? who the man is, though? Was it the Brooklyn Brawler, it probably? Was, it was the Brooklyn Brawler. <laughs> it was Vince Lombardi. I, no, it's not Vince Lombardi. It's Steve Lombardi. Steve you Lombardi, always get I mean, it confused. I get confused. Anytime there's a stupid role to play, I just assume it's the Brooklyn Brawler. It was It was the Brooklyn Brawler, actually. Though. That's funny. Jarrett tries to beat up Oscar, who is just standing on the outside. Poor guy. <laughs> Mabel catches up to him and lets Oscar deck him right in front of the ref. But the ref doesn't call a DQ. No. Mabel misses a second rope splash. Jarrett covers him for a two count. Jarrett tries a sunset flip. 
Mabel too fat. So he's, he stops him and drops down on Jarrett, but Jarrett slides out of the way. Just in the nick of time, too. And Jarrett, off of this miss, just hooks a leg and gets the three count. Yep. Another bad showing for Mabel, who looked like shit at King of the Ring. Crazy, because next year he would be winning King of the Ring. Like, yeah. you can't have a guy lose this badly for this long and then say, he's our guy. You know, he's a real challenger. Imagine him winning King of the Ring. I don't want to be those people that carried his ass out there on that fucking throne of a thing that he had. He came to the ring in. Took like 12 guys to carry his ass. Mabel wakes up and chases Jared away. So there you go. In a very skippable match here. It's just Mabel. Mabel, turn Viscera, turn Big Daddy V. <laughs> yes. You need a real, real... You need Shawn Michaels or Bret Hart in the ring with this guy to make it halfway decent. Because yeah. you just... I mean, Jeff Jarrett's a good performer, but he's not those guys. And when you have someone as immobile as Mabel, there's you're not going to get much out of him. Investigators Leslie Nielsen and George Kennedy stand in the aisleway while Taker appears in the background. They turn around. Oh, he's gone. These guys are not very good detectives. No. Now we get a promo piece for this upcoming match. Owen was upset that the Hart family was eliminated. Uh, here's the storyline for this match. The Owen and Brett feud. Okay. At Survivor Series, the Hart family was one team, but the Hart family lost at Survivor Series. Owen wanted a match with Brett, and Brett said, I will never wrestle my brother. Brett gave him a second chance. Brett gave him a second chance, and they teamed up at the Royal Rumble, and they lost again. And then after they lost, Owen kicked Brett in his injured leg. Yes. He'd suffered an injury in the match. And then Owen says, I felt good about what I just did. Then, of course, WrestleMania 10, Brett has come around to... You know what? Fine. He wants a fight. I'm going to give him a fight. So they go out to the ring, and Owen beats him. Yeah, you beat the guy that would later win the championship on the same night, which is crazy booking, but it happened just a few years ago with Seth Rollins. He lost to Randy Orton and then cashed in his briefcase and That's won right. the title on the same night. At King of the Ring, of course, we reviewed that. Neidhart interfered so Owen could be the King of Hearts. That's right. We go to Bruce Hart, who says Owen is a disgrace to the family. That Hart family synergy proves victorious again at the Survivor Series. The Hart family winning that family feud match against Shawn Michaels and his Knights. In fact, the only brother eliminated was Owen Hart, but here we see him returning to the ring, seemingly to celebrate. However, we would all I'll find out momentarily that was not the case. He goes right after his brother, the hitman, pulls him down off that ring and begins his verbal assault. Continues and escalates to a physical assault. He blames Bret Hart for his elimination. Keep in mind, folks, the entire Hart family is ringside. They're watching this with their mouths wide open. They can't believe it. A couple of weeks later, here's Owen's explanation. Listen. I've been living in the shadow of you, Bret, all my life, and I'm sick and tired of it. So, Brett, there's only one way to solve this thing with me being the shadow of you, the hitman. That's right. Why don't you go out and step up to the plate? You and me, face to face, one on one. And uh, I would wrestle anybody. And uh, I, I like to uh, live up to those words of saying I'm the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. And I take on anybody. But under no circumstances would I ever absolutely positively not ever step in the ring with my own brother under any circumstances 
Well, it could have been the Christmas carols or the turkey, but indeed, the Hart brothers patched things up over the Christmas holidays. They patched things up so well, in fact, they became a tag team at the Royal Rumble, taking on the Quebecers for the title. And remember, this was a title shot. Owens first, and he wanted it bad. And when Brett was injured, he blamed his brother again for costing him the championship. And then the kick felt round the world. We all felt it as we watched in horror. How could he kick his brother, who was badly injured, in that knee? Did Owen feel bad about it? Not on your life. I kicked you in the leg, Brett, and it felt good. It really felt good. I had a lifetime of anger and hostility and frustration. And when I laid that kick into your leg, Vince, it felt great. It felt great? I don't know how great it's going to feel for my brother Owen in WrestleMania. I don't know how great it's going to feel having gone this far. But I can promise Owen one thing. He wants a match. He wants a fight. I'll give him a fight. I'll give him a damn good fight. And fight they did at WrestleMania 10. Brother against brother. It's a match they've had several times as kids in the basement. But guess what? This one was at Madison Square Garden. And this time, little brother would win it. Owen Hart would defeat his brother, Bret Hart, at WrestleMania 10. Keep in mind, folks, later on that night, Bret Hart was going for the WWF Championship. And he got it by defeating Yokozuna. Owen once again emerged. Possibly, seemingly, maybe to patch things up? No. Look at Owen. He is seething with jealousy. When you look at him, he would love to be in that ring himself. You can see it in his eyes. Let's take you forward to the king of the ring. The match, Bret Hart against Big Daddy Cool Diesel. Remember, the anvil who interferes here volunteered to be in Bret's corner. With his interference, he cost the hitman the match. However, Bret keeps the title. That would prove so important later on as the King of the Ring tournament unfolds. Later, we see the Anvil make an appearance in the finals for the King of the Ring between Razor Ramon and Owen Hart. He clotheslines Razor Ramon in order for Owen Hart to become King of the Ring, and that's exactly what happened. It turned out to be a well-orchestrated plan. See, the only reason the Anvil was with Bret Hart was to ensure he would not lose the title, and therefore Owen could win it from his brother Bret. Just listen to this unbelievable acceptance speech My from Owen Hart. proclamation as king is to be from this day forward known as the king of hearts. The king of hearts. And I want you people to remember it with respect for the king of hearts. Folks, just three weeks ago, we saw how upset the Hart family is at Owen and the Anvil, Jim Neidhart. Let's listen to Bruce Hart, who speaks for the majority of the family. None of us are proud of you. We're disgusted. You're a disgrace to the family. A disgrace to a family divided. The family's so upset, in fact, that tonight's match is a steel cage match. A 15-foot solid steel cage will surround the ring to ensure Brent and Owen stay in and the rest of the Hart family stays out. The title's on the line tonight. The World Wrestling Federation title will no longer be yours, Brett. It's over. It's over, Brett. It's all come to an end. You are finished. 
come SummerSlam, there is going to be a new reign in the Hart family. It is going to be me, and the whole family is going to jump on my bandwagon. But this will be settled between you and me, Brett. Nobody is going to interfere. It'll be settled, and I am going to become the World Wrestling Federation champion. And I want you to take a look exactly how it's going to be on that hot summer night, Brett. I used to climb up and do like a chin-up on, uh, on your crib and just look at you. And you know, you used to cry. Well, it's gonna be the exact same thing in the SummerSlam. I'm gonna peer through that bars, that 15 foot high steel cage match with the World Wrestling Federation Championship belt draped over my shoulder. And Owen, you're gonna cry yourself a river of tears when you get used to the fact that you lost to the excellence of execution, the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. Vince walks over to Stu and Helen, who are in the crowd, and were at pretty much every match uh, throughout the mid-90s here with the Hearts. He interviews them. Uh, Stu just mumbles, and uh, Helen just says the same thing. I'll put it in here. British Bulldog, though, is in the crowd. He's been missing for a while. Drug relapses would keep him on and off TV for the better part of the early 90s. But Bulldog is in the crowd... And says, tonight's feud will end no matter what. Then we see Neidhart in the crowd, just right behind Bulldog. Yeah. No no big deal. Neidhart says Owen will be the next world champion. The Toddster is with Hitman, who had strep throat, which is, as we mentioned, very contagious. He says it has no effect on him, and he's going to prove that he's better than Owen tonight. The only way to win this cage match, the old blue steel cage, your favorite cage. My favorite. The only way to win this match is escape. No pinfalls or submissions. Just escape the cage. Out the the door or climb over. The King of Hearts is out first, followed by the champion Bret Hart. Owen gets a jump on the champ with right hands. Bret lands an inverted atomic drop and a DDT. Bret then tries to escape, but is caught by Owen. Owen hits an insiguri to Bret. Owen tries to escape, even swings a foot over the cage, but Bret somehow stops him. Brett back suplexes Owen off of the cage to the mat. Then Bret decides, you know what, I'll just crawl to the door. But Owen stops him. We get a bulldog to Owen, and Brett's like, you know what, I'll try to leave again. Owen, though, of course, drags him back in. They both take turns doing this escape over the top. I'll go up and drag you back in. Yeah. Suspension of disbelief was very much needed for this match because these guys would have maybe one leg over, sometimes both legs over. Yeah. So you have to really, really suspend your disbelief that this guy that's inside the cage can get the other guy back in. The he's, other, he's reaching over and grabbing his hair, grabbing ties. But he's not grabbing his legs. So the wrestler on the who's almost out of the cage has to basically get back in on his own. I mean, he's being pulled in there. But it's just physics and the way that I'm not gonna let somebody rip the hair out of my head. So why not just drop down and win the match? Because it would rip the hair out of my head. But you're world champ. You lose a little hair, but you gain a world championship, Patrick. Uh-huh. So you really have to suspend. This is my only problem with this match. Is you really, really have, and most cage matches in general, you really have to suspend your disbelief. But this one in, in particular, because they did the escape spot so many times. Oh yeah, this and match- this was supposed to be a blow off to a big feud. And it was a blow-off. I mean, they, they, this was an intense match. Well, it was a grueling match. 32 minutes. Yeah. 
And I mean, they took a lot of rest spots because, yeah, they were getting. Well, they, they were had taking to climb. some serious high spots, though. I mean, that belly to back alone was brutal. Owen nails Brett with a missile drop kick off the cage, nips up, and then tries to climb the cage. He's over the wall, but Brett brings him back in. They go to a split box that shows Stu and Helen watching the match. Helen's acting is pretty bad. Stu, he has the same look on his face no matter what, so. Owen tries for the door, and Brett drags him back in. Owen gets his leg dropped on the top rope, and Owen tries for the door. Brett headbutts Owen low in the middle of the ring. Not a very face-like thing to do, but this is brother blood feud. Yeah. Brett misses a second rope elbow. Brett slams Owen off the top rope as he was trying to escape. So he tries to climb over, and Owen grabs him by the hair and puts him in a Samoan drop off the cage. Bruce and Anvil start arguing in the crowd about who will win. Brett then makes it mostly out of the cage, and Owen brings him back in just to back suplex him off the cage to the mat. Then Owen pile drives Brett. Owen decides, I'm going to climb over. But Brett awakens from this pile driver, and Owen gets crotched on the ropes for his trouble. Brett crawls to the door, but Owen grabs him by the boots and wheels him back in, so Brett somehow gets on top, gets full mount, and gets some ground and pound in on Owen, who had dragged him into the middle of the ring. Owen gets springboarded then into the steel cage. Brett goes for the door, and in this was my favorite escape spot that they did. Brett is crawling to the door. Owen is across the ring, and Owen lunges across the ring. He takes one step, and he just leaps like it's the world's longest jump, and and, I mean, he's got to do it to save his life. Grabs him by the boot and stops him. Owen tries to shove Brett into the cage, but Brett ducks, and Owen's momentum carries him into the cage. So Brett climbs again and gets stopped by Owen, who pulls him by the head. They get back in the ring. Owen hits a spinning heel kick to Brett. And then Owen goes for the climb again. They brawl on the top rope until Owen gets kicked down by Brett. Owen stops Brett, and they both take each other down with a clothesline where they both decide they need a little rest here in the middle of the match. Owen climbs at a corner. Yes, this is this. Oh, this is beautiful. And why would you climb at a corner, Patrick? Because you want to set up a... This is, without a doubt... The biggest, greatest superplex I have ever seen in my entire life. I wouldn't go that far, but it's still, for 1994, it's really awesome. This is awesome, even for today. So Brett superplexes Owen off of the cage, and that wakes the crowd up who had kind of phased in and out of this match. Brett, though, oh, my hamstrings. Oh, they hurt so bad from the superplex. And getting the wind knocked out of him, too. Yeah, so he crawls slowly to the door, but Owen finds his foot yet again. Owen locks Brett in a sharpshooter. You can't put Brett Hart in a sharpshooter, man! So Brett trips him up, just grabs his... All you gotta do is reach back there and grab a leg, Patrick. I didn't know if you knew it was that easy. Leg sweep him. Leg sweep him, and then he puts Owen into the sharpshooter. But of course, you can't win by submission, so... Brett just drops it and then climbs the cage, gets stopped again by Owen grabbing his head, and they both fall crashing to the ring. They both this time go for the crawl over the top of the cage. Fuck that door. Why would you just walk out a door when you could climb this entire thing? They both crawl in the cage and then they get both men get over the side. This is another kayfabe breaker here, too. If you and I are brawling on the outside of the cage, Patrick, it's not in my best interest to hit you. Because that would cause you to do what? Fall. 
which would cause me to then what? Lose. <laughs> yes, yeah, so this is another... I'm, I know I'm being picky, and this happens in all cage matches, but you just cannot... This needs to stop. When it's when it's win by feet on the ground. Yeah. If it's a regular like Hell in a Cell where it doesn't matter, I don't mind this spot so much. But Brett, dumbass Brett here is like, ugh, ugh, I'll punch you. He was about to lose the title. And Owen falls. But his leg is caught his in those giant gaps. caught right in the middle of the cage. And he hangs upside down. Yes. He gets put in the tree of cage woe as Brett then just hops down. And Bret Hart retains his coveted world championship in 32-22. And, ladies and gentlemen, you just witnessed the greatest cage match of all time. Oh, I would not go that far. Straight, straight solid cage. I'm not talking hell in a cell. Or, I'm just straight cage. This is the greatest cage. I match. think there were better cage really? matches. Like what? The WCW cage matches, probably. Probably some of those went in the 80s with, you know, Flair and Dusty and stuff like that. Okay. Horseman cage matches. Yeah, that's true. I don't know, though, man. This one's pretty high up there. I thought it dragged a lot. Really? I thought it dragged a lot, especially in today's when, you know, there's no time to, yeah. to, to drag. But they had to fill... I mean, all these other matches were relatively short. I mean, the Razor Ramon match went 15 minutes, but outside of that, none of the other matches went 10 minutes. So yeah. these guys had a, had to fill a lot of time. So I understand why they they did what they they why they structured the match the way that they did. Yeah. I think if this match had been on a WrestleMania card in a stacked card where every where their time would get cut, I think if this match was cut in half time-wise, I think I'd really love it. As it is, I liked it. I don't have a big, I don't have a lot of problems with it, but I just thought it got really slow at points. And you know, the escape spot is fine, but I think they went to it a little too often. Like, and not enough utilization of the cage as a weapon. But that blue cage, they didn't like bumping off that blue cage. No, because it hurt like hell. Yeah. So, and the fact that Owen took that face first, that was what was ugly. But you find it to be the greatest blue cage match of all time. So, they, it might be the best blue cage match of all time. Okay, I'll say I'm okay with that. Neidhart is not very happy with this result. No. And in the crowd... As Bulldog is standing up cheering... Applauding. As Bulldog his and his wife... <laughs> Neidhart... Standing Mrs. Up, Calgary. Neidhart jumps up, jumps the guardrail, and clotheslines Bulldog <laughs> and his wife... Diane. Over Diana Hart over the guardrail. Yeah. What?! <laughs> it's a heart family feud. What? All heart is breaking loose. <laughs> All so, heart in hell is breaking loose. And so the night heart grabs Brett, throws him in the ring, grabs Owen, throws him in the ring. Gets a chain. Gets a chain and, and a, a padlock. Lock, which he could not work a lock very well. No, it took he him was quite having a, issues with he, this lock. But he gets in there. He finally gets it padlocked. He had his tights on the whole time in the crowd. No one seemed to notice, by yeah. the way. He had pants on. He yeah. had tight pants on the whole time. Yeah. And he was ready to work. He was. He was ready to go. And they just start beating away at Brett. <laughs> yes. Out of nowhere, here comes Bruce and Smith and Keith, and they're all trying to climb. Stu even tries to climb the cage yeah. at one point. All of them except Helen were basically trying, climbing, yeah. trying to get in there, but Owen... Owen turns on his own family and Neidhart, and they start knocking him off the cage. Yeah. And then all at once, 
you get this giant gust of energy and Bulldog, Bulldog gets over. He rips <laughs> his shirt off, climbs, yeah. gets over, gets into the cage. And the chicken shit heels. And the chicken shit heels go on the other side, climb down and run like hell. <laughs> so, I did love the post-match. It was funny to watch. I don't believe Diana was supposed to go over, though. And, she, I mean, she took a hard fall. Oh, it's all for the good of the family, Patrick. It's all yeah, for the... but that was right there at the steps, too. She landed on the steps. What was funny is watching the Hart family members climb, and they would have to get knocked off. And oh, I th- yeah. I think Bruce was stuck up there, and he, he was like, Jim, come over here and knock me off. Yeah, he, you like, hear him like, hell, yeah. And, and Jim walks over there and just like barely punches his like leg, and he's like, oh! And he goes flying <laughs> off. So it was a very entertaining uh, post-match yes. beatdown. Yes, yes. Well, Hart family's got a lot of problems here in '94. I would not want to Thanksgiving. Be, I would not want to be at Thanksgiving or Christmas at their house. So there you go. Todd tries to get a word with Owen. He says the Hearts turned their backs on him, and he says, "Bulldog, that bulldog fellow, he's not my family." He married into the family. He's not a true heart. He's just a British... He's not even a man. He's a bulldog. That's right. Neidhart then just spits garbage. And then we get a Survivor Series promo. Thanksgiving Eve. Thanksgiving Eve. Get ready for some full body contact. High speed collisions and bone crunching hits. It's the WWF Survivor Series, where teams of superstars strive to survive in punishing elimination matches. What's more, there's no penalties for personal fouls, unnecessary roughness, or illegal use of the hands. The WWF Survivor Series, live on pay-per-view. This year, we'll provide the stuffing and the squad. A good thing to do with the family, just gather around, turkey's cooking. Yeah, you got the turkey on for tomorrow. Yeah. You're getting prepped you're for prepping, football yeah. tomorrow. You're prepping to sit down and eat tomorrow. While you're doing all that and waiting for tomorrow to get here, what's better than sitting around the TV? Watching three hours. Watching three hours of men beat the living hell out of each other in Survivor Series. A promo voiced by Todd recaps Undertaker. He was killed. One of many times the Undertaker was killed in the WWE. This man has been killed a million times. He just, he's been buried alive. He's been set on fire. This time, luckily, they just uh, put him in a casket and rolled him out. This is the one thing I have never figured out them pulling this off. Magic tricks. This one is. They're rolling him up. Get halfway there. Camera uh, comes on. Taker says what he's got to say. From the Videotron, somehow. Yeah. He had a pre-taped message for us. He would not be resting in peace. The lid blows off, and he then levitates up into the the heavens. (laughs) How did he wrestle a match, get hooked into a harness inside of a box? Maybe it was a dummy. Who knows? something, man. I don't know how they pulled this off, but it's really intriguing. Anyway, proceed. Then we cut to, of course, 
you know, Leslie Nielsen's been heading up this investigation and we talked to right. random people at the right. deli and the kids and they've all seen The Undertaker. Yeah. Apparently he just walks around like a normal person. You never know. It would be nice if up. they interviewed people like at a cemetery, you know, instead yeah. of like just yeah. like the guy at the deli. Yeah. Yeah, I saw The Undertaker the other day. You ordered a tomato sandwich. Ted DiBiase, though, back in May. So The Undertaker had been off TV from January to May. Yes. And Ted DiBiase says, guess what, guys? The Undertaker's back. Everybody has a price. And he's with the Million Dollar Corporation. And Paul Bear comes out and says, You're a liar! On Sean's Heartbreak Hotel, no less, DiBiase introduces The Undertaker, in quotation marks. <gasps> or is it? I dare say this is an underfaker, my friend. I think it's the real one. On Raw, which had started in 93, so a relatively young... Raw is war here. Before Raw was war. Pre-war. Peacetime Raw. Paul Bear tries to talk to the fake Undertaker. Of course, if it's the Undertaker, Paul Bear can control him. That's right. He's Dr. Frankenstein. He reaches out his hand and he tries to wave him towards him. Uh-oh. The Undertaker gets some money stuffed in his pocket. Right. And money talks and <laughs> not Paul Bear. Money talks, bullshit walks. We've talked about this. Same. It was almost the same angle as Luger. Yeah. Bear says, that can't be my Undertaker. So he goes to a cemetery and tries to beg the real Undertaker to show up. He went to a cemetery but no one else did. On Raw, the Underfaker chokes Paul Bear. <gasps> oh no. The lights flicker though and Paul Bear has escaped the grasp of the Underfaker, thanks to the power of the Undertaker, who was not in the building. No. He did it with magic. Did it with his magic. He did it with his powers. On Superstars last week, the real Taker has a voice message for the fake Taker. DiBiase, you bring your demon to SummerSlam. And he'll rest in peace. And he will rest in peace. Earlier this year at the WWF Royal Rumble, Paul Bearer's Undertaker was defeated in a casket match by not only his opponent, Yokozuna, but by nine other competitors as well. And they leave this dubious distinction for Yokozuna. He kicks the Undertaker into that double deep, double wide casket. Then you see the rest of these WWF superstars pushing the Undertaker down until they hear the gong. Look at him look around. The smoke pours from underneath that casket. They are bewildered. No one knows what's going on as they listen to the voice from beyond. Soon all mankind will witness the rebirth of the Undertaker. I will not rest in peace. The Undertaker ascended to wherever it is Undertakers ascend to. We all thought we had seen the last of it. That is, until people from all over began reporting having seen The Undertaker. You know, the other day I was working, and guess who walked in? The Undertaker. I couldn't believe it. This guy was huge. Bryn, did you see The Undertaker? I saw him at, um, 
um, sled down a slide. Man, when the smoke started to clear, there was this big figure standing there. And when it cleared up, I looked, it was the Undertaker. Did you see the man who was just in here? He was enormous. Oh, I saw him. That was the Undertaker. No, not the Undertaker. Even the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase, told us that he himself had made contact with the Undertaker. DiBiase claimed with all his money and connections, he was the man to bring the Undertaker back to the World Wrestling Federation. However, folks, a different point of view from Paul Bearer, who said that was impossible. Paul Bearer claimed the trail had gone cold. In fact, he called Ted DiBiase a liar. Point blank. He said if he couldn't reach The Undertaker, there was no way that Ted DiBiase could do it either. However, folks, the million-dollar man not being one to shut up, put up, and made this unbelievably startling announcement. Let's call it an introduction of a Heartbreak Hotel. I give you once again from the dark side. The Undertaker! Absolutely incredible. Did Ted DiBiase really have control over The Undertaker? After all, it was the Million Dollar Man who brought The Undertaker to the World Wrestling Federation originally. But could The Undertaker have forgotten his relationship with this man, Paul Bearer? It was a few weeks later, July 4th to be exact, on Monday Night Raw, that Paul Bearer tried to regain control of his Undertaker, doing everything in his power to draw The Undertaker back to his corner. You can see the grimace on the face of the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase. The Undertaker staring at Paul Bearer, and then a step in that direction. Would it be another step? Would Paul Bearer pull The Undertaker back to his side? It was like The Undertaker was being pulled by a magnet. Two sides. Which side would he go to? We all watched on as the Million Dollar Man resorted to his power. Cash. The Undertaker's head snaps, and he has seen the green. That's when Paul Bearer began to suspect that Ted DiBiase's Undertaker wasn't the same Undertaker he had known before. He returns to the place he feels his Undertaker's presence the strongest in the cemetery. There's no question this eerie setting was definitely Paul Bearer's window to the other side and his best chance of contacting his Undertaker. When Paul Bearer confronted Ted DiBiase and his Undertaker on the King's Court two weeks ago, the Million Dollar Man ordered his Undertaker to put Paul Bearer in a compromising situation and watch this grip right there around the neck of Paul Bearer. No secret, folks, Paul Bearer was not going to get out of this grip of the Million Dollar Man's Undertaker by himself. Then the mysterious happening. The lights begin to flicker. Look at the face of that brain surgeon, Jerry Lawler. The Million Dollar Man, everybody looking all over. The crowd goes crazy as they feel the presence of Paul Bearer's Undertaker. And when the lights come back on, not only is Paul Bearer escaped from that grip, but he's outside the ring proclaiming the presence of his Undertaker. Then, folks, just this past weekend, unbelievably enough, we finally heard from the man from the dark side. Ted DiBiase, I vow never to rest in peace. This Monday night, you bring whatever demon it is that you possess 
For the time has come for the Undertaker to rise once more. Therefore, the time has come for your Undertaker to be destroyed once and for all. To rest in peace. Ted DiBiase, much like at Survivor Series 1990, comes out first. And Guess it- what? I'm betting the Undertaker wins this match, just so you know. Ted DiBiase, just like he did at Survivor Series, introduces yes the Undertaker once again. Yeah, the man who brought you the Undertaker, ladies and gentlemen. He's a capitalist taker now. The Undertaker, and so here he comes walking down, and he does manage to turn the lights back on, so yeah. he does have some power. He does. Then Finkel introduces Undertaker and Paul Bear. Paul Bear comes out alone though. Uh oh. But then he turns back. And the druids. The druids are bringing out the casket. Who they referred to as Grim Reapers at the time. Yes. They bring out the casket from Royal Rumble. And and like people are thinking, oh man, you know, you know. First of all, you hear the gong. Okay, where's the Undertaker? Then the druids come out. And you're like, oh man. And he opens it up and he lifts out the urn. The new (laughs) and improved urn. Yeah, the light. Well, shit. Where's the Undertaker? Then all of a sudden... Lights go out. Gong, they start flickering. Gong hits again. Paul Bear's spinning around the ring with this urn. You look up the entryway, and you see a purple shadow. The real Undertaker has finally arrived. He's in the building. And he's wearing purple to separate him from the Underfaker, who is wearing gray. So it's old uniform versus new uniform here. True. As Brian Lee. Primetime Brian Lee. Yes. Would be playing the under faker from Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Taker does his normal entrance, comes into the ring, then squares off with the under faker. And right in the under faker's, by the way, the Undertaker is taller than Brian Lee, so immediately he makes the fake Undertaker look like shit. Oh, uh, yeah, Brian, just by being taller. Brian Lee's like 6'8, six, 6'9. Six, Taker's 6'10, six, 6'11. Six, yeah. So. Taker does the off with his head motion at Brian Lee. Now, this is unfortunately, just like the men in the ring, the crowd would die. For some reason, this match just did not Didn't do it for capture the energy of and these I love Chicagoans. I love this match. I well, love looking back match. on it, the stakes for this match were very big, Patrick. They were huge. I mean, imagine at WrestleMania this past year having to see Brian Lee reti- retire. You know, it wouldn't be quite as emotional. It's true. Who is the real Undertaker? The winner of this match. Well, this is for bigger. Will, than, will be the Undertaker. They get the streak. They yeah. get, they inherit all the goodies. Yes. I mean, this is huge. a battle for a gimmick. Huge. So, in retrospect, this is a very big match. I, I mean, love this match. Huge. I mean, and they they felt it was pretty to put it over the title match, especially a cage match, just a regular singles match. Very. Crazy call, I think. I think, I dare say it's crazier than putting LT on as the main event because this is just a singles match, you know? This is true. This is the payoff to a long, from January to August. This is a long build. So you do have a lot invested in it, but still to put it over a cage match nonetheless. This was also, this is also when Taker finally, after four years, was like, hey, I need a vacation. Which he would get very good at towards the end of his career. Yes. The man was great at vacation time. Taker punches Brian Lee right out of the ring. And then 
Brian Lee stalks Paul Bear, but Taker grabs uh, primetime Brian and suplexes him into the ring, then throws him out of the ring again. Fake Taker goes for old school. How dare you, sir? How dare you? But he gets slammed off the turnbuckle for his trouble. Real Taker then hits old school the way it should be done. Brian Lee botches some of his only offense here, botches a stun gun on The Undertaker. Lee clotheslines Undertaker and then misses an elbow drop. Vince even brings up how silent the crowd is. He says that they're just mesmerized by... They're just... There's two Undertakers. They're mesmerized. They're shocked. They don't don't know what to do. They don't know whether to cheer. They don't know whether to laugh. They're getting them confused. Yeah. I have a question about the Underfaker here. Did they sketch tattoos on his arms? No, actually, that is what was great for Brian Lee. Is Brian Lee had tattoos on his arms? Because I almost thought they had the same tattoos for because uh, they, they have them in the same spot. Brian basically. Lee basically has tattoos in all the exact same spots as the Undertaker did at this specific point in time. Now they are not the same tattoos, but from a distance, yeah. It really looks like, you know, and so that is why Brian Lee is the perfect fit for this. Lee choke slams the Undertaker, calls for some magic, but nothing happens. His magic powers have left him. Brian Lee, the Undertaker then allows Brian Lee. Brian Lee picks him up, <laughs> sets him up for a tombstone, and Taker allows this to happen. And Taker takes it. He goes to cover. The Undertaker. He gets to one knee. He gets to the second knee. Taker sits up. Does his Michael Myers sit-up spot. Picks him up. All of a sudden, out of nowhere... The weight is reversed. The weight's reversed. The Undertaker flips over the Undertaker. Picks him up. The Undertaker tombstones the Underfaker. Yes. Leaping. Leaps. Which, this is the first time he's ever done this. And it is epic to watch. Because I really thought he just killed Brian Lee. But that's not enough, Patrick. No. Hell no. (laughs) Just to make sure he is fully dead, he gets him back up and tombstones him again. But then he's like, no, that's not enough. And one more. Just like... When he had to face Kane, it took three tombstones to put the Underfaker away. No chair, unlike Kane, which he had yeah. to use a chair on. But three tombstones to the Underfaker. That's right. And finally, Undertaker does his signature pinning cover, and this one is all over. The Undertaker beats the Undertaker in eight minutes, 57 seconds. I was right. I told you the Undertaker would win. You were correct. Undertaker says, you know what? Let's get this trash out of here. The Druids, or the Grim Reapers as they're called, wheel the casket down to the ring. And this is, the camera's fucked up here. Because I wanted to see Underfaker get rolled into the casket. But the lights go out so you can't really see his lifeless Underfaker body get put in the casket. Undertaker rolls him into the casket, and the Druids just wheel him away. Yep. Out with the garbage. Gotta take the garbage out. Later. Peace out, homie. And then, so the lights come back on. And out of that, we just go to Macho Man, who has reappeared. I want to thank everybody for joining us here at the SummerSlam. Have a good rest of the evening. There's something more. We're going backstage. One more Leslie Nielsen segment before we end the night. They see the casket. They open it up. Nothing's in there. He's gone. Maybe but wait, this- they, they, they look. Look over there. They run over. There's a case. And guess what? It's closed. The (laughs) case is closed. Let's go eat. (laughs) Wonderful comedy. I was rushing out to see Naked Gun after these hilarious segments. (laughs) SummerSlam 1994. 
Overall, I, I really enjoyed the pay-per-view, even though there were a couple of duds of matches. Mabel, being, Mabel, mainly Mabel, really brought it down for me. I know Razor Ramon, the match, uh, he had no offense in, but the crowd was hot for it because of Walter Payton. It was a great use of a celebrity, and just the crowd being so into that match and all the work Sean did, I enjoyed that match. And pretty much every other match I enjoyed. Outside of Jared and Mabel, I really, really liked this card a whole lot. Undertaker versus Undertaker, I mean, the crowd just died for it. For as much build as this storyline got, they only got 10 minutes. I mean, I know that it's big men, big man on big man, so it's not going to be like a great match anyway, but yeah. I felt like they could have done a little bit more. So I'm, just, I'm being nitpicky because, I mean, it was still fun to watch because it's the payoff to the biggest imposter angle next to maybe Kane and Kane, your old boy uh, Luke Gallows. Yeah. May 19th, see no evil, the imposter Kane shows up. Or maybe Sin Cara versus imposter Sin Cara. Or yeah. Maybe imposter Sting versus Sting. Lots of imposter, or imposter doinks showing up at WrestleMania 9 to help out the other doink. It's true. There have been so many imposter gimmicks. OSW Review has a retrospective on all these imposter gimmicks that is a really great watch. I highly suggest. It's like a top ten imposter gimmicks in wrestling. And Yeah. How many fake stings there have been. That's the most impostered wrestler of all time. There, you know, everyone got a sting mask. Everyone got sting face paint. And so. Oh, yeah. One time it was Hall. One time it was Nash. One time it was... Jarrett. Jarrett, but you had, a, you had an actual original fake sting though. Yeah, so. Heath Slater one time in WWE was a fake sting. There's lots of fake stings. It's true. This would be Randy Savage's last WWF pay per view because he would be uh, he much was, like Lex Luger. He was uh, he was packing up, <laughs> saying goodbye. Yes, and he would be gone, which is why he was. I would by bear. November. Which is why he was demoted to this hosting role. That's what I was going to say, which is why I would dare say he was demoted down to this. Hey, welcome. Gotta go. Later. But the crowd loves Macho Man, so it's a good role for him to have. Enzo Amore could do what Macho Man does. Just come out and greet the crowd. He doesn't even have to be on TV. That's true. And people would get would like it. That's true. And he wouldn't make hardly any money, but it would be fine. This card overall, I just it was really good. Especially for 1994. New generation era. WWF, this is uh, an exceptional card. Uh, what do you What do you think about it? Oh, it's a it's a great card. One of my go to for Summer Slams. I I love this because of the Taker versus Taker match. One of the the more memorable Summer Slams. This one in '92, I think, are the two oh that, yeah, because it was uh, at UK Wembley. yeah yeah Wembley. I think are the two most remembered Summer Slam of the '90s. Yeah, well, until you get into the Attitude Era, the Highway to Hell with Austin yeah, and Highway Taker. Highway to Hell was pretty big too. Yeah. So yeah, there's there's been some big Summer Slams, and I mean since then there's I mean this is still going. I mean Summer Slam is one of the big four, one of the uh, the majors in yeah, WWE. We're, we're, so. we're what a month away from Summer Slam. We are two weeks away, Patrick. Two weeks away. So we'll have to pick another Summer Slam. Well, good because I'm taking us in a very different direction this week, Patrick. It but, might be. I'm not saying well, but where yeah. are you taking us this? Week? We got to rate our scale too, though. Right from Hornswoggle to El Gigante, Giant Gonzalez. Where do you stack Summer Slam '94? Uh, if you would take <laughs> Primetime Brian Lee and put Undertaker on his shoulders, that's where I'm going. An, uh, that's very high. Uh, under right? Faker. And an Undertaker. 
stacked on top, stacked on top of each other. But that would put it as your highest rated one of all time, I think. Or maybe this rating system doesn't matter at all. So uh, I would give this a Bull Nakano with her hair all the way up. Oh Lord, that's like Andre. Yeah, that's pretty tall. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say it's it's the best. It's not in the top ten of best pay-per-views ever but it's it's a very enjoyable watch it's, it flies by it drags it at points but like i said for new gen uh this is just a, a very good card minus jared and mabel stay at home boys you guys could have uh took the night off so there you go that was our review for this week next week patrick i where are you taking us i sort of told you about it last week and i screwed up because i didn't bring it with me and so i'll have to come by your house and like leave it on your porch but we are going to watch the chaperone starring triple h from 2011 i spent the money and bought the dvd a triple feature a comedy triple feature did you really okay featuring Bending the Rules, starring Edge. Knucklehead, starring Big Show. But the one we'll focus on is The Chaperone, starring Triple H. I'm gonna drive the kids' bus to New Orleans to go to the Dinosaur Museum. And also starring Ariel Winter, who is a star on ABC's Modern Family and is slowly turning into the next Kim Kardashian. She's an Instagram... She's like uh, Eva Marie, an Instagram model. But this was before... I mean, she's like 13 in this movie. She's supposed to be playing a 15-year-old. Does not look 15 in the movie, but yes, the the plot of the movie is very simple. Uh, Triple H has been doing seven years of uh, hard labor in a minimal security prison. He was the getaway driver, Patrick. He was the getaway driver in a heist, and he was the only one that took the fall for it. So all his boys are on the outside. Meanwhile, his wife and his daughter, despite living in the same town as the prison, have not come to see him. So how will Triple H adjust to life on the outside? We'll, we'll just have to we'll have see. To wait and see. Yeah. Yeah. So the chaperone. WWE Studios, dipping our toe in WWE Studios, which that should be on the network. That kind of shit can fill time on the network. Their own movies. That's true. I mean, just throw them up there. No Holds Barred could be playing any, you know, every five minutes if they wanted to. (sighs) I love No Holds Barred. Yes, so that's where we will go. The Chaperone, our first wrestling movie review. And yeah. boy, what a good one it is. I've never seen it, so I'm I'm curious. Patrick, I, I I don't usually do this, but I looked ahead and I, I've already watched it. I didn't take notes, but I, I already watched it. And I watched Knucklehead because I was a glutton for punishment. And uh, I believe uh, Chaperone looks like the greatest film of all time next to Knucklehead. <laughs> Knucklehead is one of... Well, that's for another day. That's for another day. But yes, The Chaperone. Okay. By the way, in case I forget on The Chaperone review, the picture on the box or the the cover art for The Chaperone is Triple H in front of a school bus. Correct. Guess what's not in the film, Patrick? A school bus. That's right. They drive a charter bus, which is nothing like a school bus. For anybody that's had to ride the big cheese like me, I can tell you it's nothing like a charter bus. Okay. This charter bus had a bathroom in it. What? Yeah, so that's where we'll go next week. The Chaperone Stern Triple H. And there you go. Does he spit water on the kids? Doesn't even do a pedigree. What? There's fight scenes, and I figured, oh, this is a great time for a pedigree. Yeah. No pedigree. What? He does not fight children, though. He, because, of course, don't try this at home, he breaks up a fight between children. That's right. But, you know, 
there's better ways to solve problems, Patrick, than physical violence. Everyone knows that. Yes. Even despite a pro wrestler telling me this. <laughs> Enough about that. We I have plenty of bitching to do next week. And so that's where we'll go. That'll do it for this week in the Retro Wrestling Podcast. You can catch up everything Retro Wrestling Podcast on our Facebook page or at RetroWrestlingPodcast.com, which will redirect you to our Twitter page, which is Retro W Podcast. And that is our uh, Twitter handle. And of course, Patrick, where can they find you? They can find me, Patrick Young, or Patrick Young Wrestling on Facebook. Type in either one of those. You will see me with the uh, the legendary Tommy Dreamer and Stevie Richards. In between them. Yes. A great shot. Great shot. Top. Add Intern Alex on Twitter for me, and uh, that'll do it. I'm Intern Alex. I'm the one and only the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. Saying, as always, my closing line's clothesline. <laughs> bingo, bingo. We really need to work on the... Uh, the closing line is a clothesline. I love that. <laughs> okay. That is great.